It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Magic, your daily podcast on the Orlando Magic, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And you are indeed Locked On Magic. Today is Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you. My name is Philip Rossenreich. I'm the site expert and editor over at orlandomagicdaily.com. You can follow me on Twitter at omd. On today's episode of Locked On Magic... We're going to kind of complete our look back at the 1995 series between the Orlando Magic and the Chicago Bulls. We did a two-part podcast last week where we live-watched Game 1 uh, with, with Adam Papagiorgio, Zach Oliver, and Aaron Goldstone. Today, though, uh, before the last dance on Sunday, I did an hour-long Facebook Live, or, or kind of a lead-in to, uh, to the documentary, uh, discussing the series as a whole, doing a sort of rewatchable style. Shout-out to The Ringer as well as The Book of Basketball. Uh, podcast 2.0, um, did a kind of rewatchable style look back at that series. So I, I break down kind of what the stakes of that series were, what kind of the, the the implications of what it meant to win that series, the most rewatchable segment of the series. I think that answer is obvious. The unanswerable questions, there, there are quite a few actually that, that I think are really interesting. Um, and then of course, Apex Mountain and who won the series. We'll talk all about that coming up here in the next hour. But before we get into that, I want to I want to say that our podcast today is sponsored by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to builtbar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your first order. And make sure to check out the other great podcasts on the Locked On Podcast Network. Wherever you download podcasts today, whether it's the Chicago Bulls, checking out Locked On Bulls, or any other team, there's a Locked On Podcast for you with a local expert who knows their team best. Check out all our great podcasts across the NBA, NFL, NHL, and College 2. The Lockdown Podcast Network, it's your team every day. So I figured this was as good a time as any, especially with Fox Sports Florida, uh, just recently, uh, on Saturday actually, Airing all four Magic wins from that series on Saturday and, and, and airing for the first time a replay of the Magic's wins at Game 5 and Game 6 of their series against the Chicago Bulls. I figured it was a good time or as good a time as any to get together and discuss that series in a little bit little bit more detail. Um, I'll tell my personal story with that series first. Um, I was born 1988, so I was six years old. I was going to be seven in the summer. Of that season, so I do remember that series a little bit. I remember, I think I was at Game One. Um, I don't think I was at any of the other games. So I, this series to me was really pre my basketball conscious. Yes, I understood in the moment how big Nick Anderson's steal was. Um, I, I think I think it, it being possible not to. I understand. 
I understood who Michael Jordan was, but could I tell you what a pick and roll was? Could I tell you really what was going on on the basketball court or, or anything else? No, I just remembered the thrill of winning that series. So, you know, I, I think a theme that, that was really played out in this magic moment of the documentary about the 1995 Orlando Magic um, and something that I, I thought about a lot as I was rewatching this series and, and really experiencing this series, uh, at least the wins, because they didn't show games two and, and four, um, experiencing the wins uh, was, was really understanding kind of the newness of the team and, and how young this team really, really was. And, and I think that's a, that's a through line that really carried itself throughout the playoffs. Um, you know, I, I think one of the enduring storylines that, that came in about that series and, and, and was really, you know, woven throughout the whole broadcast. So, you know, again, essentially, I was watching this series for the first time. I, I've watched game one over again. Um, I've watched game six over again. So this was my third, my, my second re-watching of those two games. Uh, I honestly didn't remember game three and honestly didn't remember game five very much. You know, I think I was still in school. I was six years old. Parents would let me stay up for an eight o'clock game most nights. Um, I, I honestly don't remember watching those games. So I, I was really experiencing those games for the first time and, and watching those games too for the first time and, and really watching the, the, the series uh, with some with some fresh eyes. Now, granted, with a 2020 uh, with a 2020 mindset on it. And I think, think that's something we discussed on Locked On Magic when we did a live rewatch of Game One. Because I mean, this this series is such a huge series for Orla- the Orlando Magic. It's such a huge series in Orlando Magic history. But let's set the table first. A, a huge thing that um, that carried itself throughout the entire uh, broadcast of this series was just this mention of the Magic's youth. Um, this is year six of the fran- year six of the franchise. Uh, year five of Magic arrive was their first playoff year. Year six uh, of the franchise. Shaquille O'Neal is in his third year. Penny Hardaway's in his second year. This is a really really young team. And while you know players certainly weren't as young uh, earlier in their careers as they are now. I mean, Shaq went to three years of college. Penny was four years in college. While they weren't like young age wise, they're young in experience. Uh, and and you know I think everyone kind of understood when Orlando got the fourth seed in 1994 that this team was coming, that this was kind of the next team. But 1995 was not supposed to be their year. I mean, the Bulls are still figuring things out with my, without Michael Jordan. The Indiana Pacers and New York Knicks just played a classic Eastern Conference Finals um, to, to get to the 94 Finals. It, you know, the East was still up for grabs, but it, it felt very much like this is Patrick Ewing's turn. This is Reggie Miller's turn. This is, this is their conference still to win and decide. The Magic were just going to be a nice team, certainly expecting them to take another step, certainly expecting them maybe to get to the second round, but nobody expected what the Magic were going to do next. They won 59 games that year, had the top offensive league and a top 10 defense in the league. To me, adding Horace Grant, and this is something I really do believe in, having a veteran who has been there that can add a little bit of seriousness to, to teams is so critical to young teams trying to taking that next step. Um, I really think that that is... That is a big, big deal. Honestly, it's something the 2009 team kind of missed a little bit, uh, to, to be perfectly honest. Um, maybe the 2010 team missed it a little bit more. You need a veteran that's been there to kind of ease everyone through the process. Because this is a young team. And, and, and honestly, throughout this series against the Bulls, they show their youth throughout. But Orlando stuns the world. They arrive essentially before anyone thought they'd be ready. They win 59 games in the 1995 season. Like I said, had the top offense in the league by offensive rating, the top 10 defense by defensive rating. They get the top seed of the East, and they play a 35-win Boston Celtics team. If anyone's complaining about the Magic making the playoffs in 2020 with just 38 or 39 wins, 
The Boston Celtics in 1995 made it with 35 wins. And I've often looked this up. At least in the modern era of the NBA, since the three-point line, I'm pretty sure 35 wins is the fewest wins it has ever taken to make the playoffs. So this Boston Celtics team, D. Brown, Dominique Wilkins, Dino Raja, um, they... It should have been a push. Should have been a pushover. No, no offense, Boston fans. It should have been an easy three-game sweep. And 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 for a Magic team that had never won in the playoffs before, that series was a little bit of a struggle. In fact, you know, honestly, I, I put the Celtics. I put Game Four of that series on my list of ten games that Fox Sports Florida should have shown. Um, I, I think Fox Sports Florida. I, I get they're trying to like build playoff games here up up here, and and I have some debates about the games that they've chosen to air uh, as part of Magic Classics. I'm not complaining. Please keep showing them. Uh, but I would have loved to have seen Game Four of that series. That um, Orlando blows out Boston in Game One. You know, one of the largest blowouts in NBA playoff history. They lose in Game Two. They shoot, I think, something like 28 percent, like high twenties, low thirties in the fourth quarter, and they lose Game Two. I was at Game Two. I remember vividly Game Two. Felt like the world was going to end, and it just felt like. And and I think the NBC broadcast mentions this during Game One of the Bulls series. It felt like the Magic were really feeling the weight of the playoffs. Again, remember, this is a team that got swept in the first round of their first playoff series in 1984. They'd never experienced any kind of success, much less the expectation that you advance and move forward in the postseason. Games three and four in Boston are actually really, really tight. They're actually really good games. And the Magic had to struggle to win those games. Good games. Again, I honestly think Fox Sports Florida should have shown them. Um, big shots made by the Magic. They showed a lot of poise to win those games on the road and, yes, to close the Boston Garden. So Orlando advances 3-1 over the Boston Celtics to face the Chicago Bulls. The Bulls in the 17 games since Michael Jordan returned went 13-4. 13-4 with Jordan. He averaged 26 points per game in those games. It very much felt like Jordan was back, and that includes the double-nickel game against the Knicks. And Jordan and the, and the Bulls dispatch the Charlotte Hornets fairly easily. They get them in four games. They win game one in Charlotte in overtime, retake home court advantage. Games three and four feel like formalities, and the Magic face the Bulls in that first round, or in that second round. Entering that series, and I think you could sense this if you watch the games on broadcast, uh, if you watch the broadcast of the games, and, and it's really something that pervades. The Bulls are the favorite in that series. They don't have home court advantage, but they are the favorites of that series. And it's because of that experience factor. Yes, it's because of Michael Jordan. It's because Michael Jordan's got the championship pedigree. The Bulls have won titles before. The Magic, again, they're a year early. Or if not, if not they're the plucky upstarts. But it's... It, it's, it's really fascinating what plays out in the course of that series. In the course of those six games... So much happens. I think when we look back on history, you know, we tend to kind of smooth over some of the rough edges, especially as we kind of tell stories about that series. You tell the story about Nick Anderson's steal, and it feels inevitable at that point. The Magic are going to not only win the game, but win this, but win the series and move on to the finals. And, and again, I'm really excited to rewatch the Pacers series. Uh, the, the Fox Sports Lawyer will show all four game, all four wins from the Magic's Eastern Conference Final Series against the Pacers starting on Tuesday. Um, I'm really fascinated to watch that series because outside of Game 4, which is the Rick Smith shot, which the Magic lose, I don't believe I've rewatched it. I think I maybe I've rewatched Game 7 or parts of Game 7 
Um, most of these games are available on YouTube. I've got them in the Orlando Magic Video Vault on OrlandoMagicDaily.com. Um, it, it's I'm really interested to see the struggle that this Magic team goes through because the Magic series against the Bulls is a struggle. It, it is not an easy series. It is not inevitable that the Magic win this series. Yes, Nick Anderson steals the ball for Michael Jordan in Game 1. But you get Michael Jordan once in a late-game situation. You don't get him very much, very often twice or three times. The Bulls and the Magic play an incredibly close series. Game one, obviously, the Nick Anderson steal. We did a podcast on that on Locked on Magic uh, earlier this week. Uh, two-part two part podcast, first half, second half. It's it's fun. There's a Facebook Live video to go with it, or there's a uh, there's a stream to go with it if you want to watch a couple of us talk about that game and, and, and talk about a lot of issues with that 95 Magic team. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to try not to repeat myself too much on that. Game two, Michael Jordan asserts himself, wears number 23. Big, it's a big deal. It's, it's you know kind of that whole superstitious thing. Game three, Orlando's trailing for most of it. And then they make a run in the in the fourth quarter, in the third and fourth quarter that gives them the lead. And Jordan makes another really bad turnover late in that game. Orlando makes their free throws. They pull ahead. They get the 2-1 lead. Game four, Magic commit 22 turnovers. They lose. So we're going, we're going back tied 2-2, heading back to Orlando. Back in Orlando for game five. Again, Chicago, like, we're really surprised me when I rewatched these games. Chicago had the lead pretty much every time at the end of the first quarter. Chicago's the one in control. And it takes Orlando going on a run in the... It takes Orlando going on a run in the... You know, in the... Four, in, in the third and fourth quarter to win that game. It's 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 really, really fascinating. And for anyone who's watching, if there's any audio problems or anything, please let me know. Um, I want to make sure I, 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 I'm trying technology here. It's, it's, it's you know, it's been a struggle for me lately. Uh, so if, if, if there's any problem with audio or video or anything, uh, just let me know in the comments so, so I can try and fix it and, and, and keep this thing, keep, keep this thing moving. But game five, Orlando is is trailing again. And in the third quarter, we see really the most modern example of, of this Magic team. And it's something that we discussed during the Game 1 podcast about how modern this team sort of feels. Both, both honestly, the Magic and the Bulls feel very modern. And that's something that, that's definitely one of my takeaways from this series. Dennis Scott hits five three-pointers in Game 5. He goes on a little bit of a spurt uh, in, in the late third quarter. And that gives Orlando the lead. And from there, Shaq takes over. Shaq takes over and Orlando gets the 3-2 series lead. And they have control over the whole thing. Game 6 is another animal. Game 6, Chicago takes the lead again. You know, Orlando kind of struggling to get their offense going. They get Shaq going. You know, the guys, guys get going intermittently. But Chicago races ahead by 8. Uh, late in the 4th quarter. Horse Grant's dislocated his finger. He's out. Penny's on the bench with foul trouble. You got Brian Shaw leading the team. And Orlando goes on a 14-0 run to silence the Bulls, to end the series. I've watched this game now twice, um, post-1995. I know it's coming. I know this run is coming. And it is still shocking to see. Because A, this is Michael Jordan. This is Michael Jordan. He doesn't mess up late in games. That's his whole legacy. And he can't hit shots. Scotty's missing free throws. And this is really the first game that Scotty plays really, really well. 
and the Bulls just falter. And it is, we'll get back to that question here in, in, in just a moment. But Orlando ends the series. They lift Horace Grant up, up on their shoulders. They go to the Eastern Conference Finals. They go to the NBA Finals eventually. And the rest, as they say, is history. The Orlando Magic defeat the Chicago Bulls 4-2 in the, season, in the, in the playoff series. And it is the last time Michael Jordan loses a playoff series in his career. It is shocking. Because... I really do think that there are so many signs of the Magic's immaturity throughout the series. They struggle to hit shots consistently. Their offense bogs down. They make defensive mistakes. They turn the ball over. The Bulls run a press on them. And Orlando really struggles with that press, especially in games two and three. And they they can't quite get into their offense. You can see frustration on Penny's face. Penny didn't have the greatest series. You know, you look at the the stats, the basic stats. Shaquille O'Neal with 24.3 points per game, 13.2 rebounds per game. Penny with 18.5 points per game, 7.5 assists per game. Horace Grant, the real star of the series, as, as Chicago reportedly said, Horace Grant's going to beat us. We're not going to let Penny, we're not going to let Shaq beat us. Horace Grant's going to beat us. He scores 18 points per game, 11 rebounds per game. Has a great series. Brian Shaw, who... Average about four points per game. He scores five points per game in the series. Has some really big minutes. Like I said, game six, Brian Shaw is running the show for most of it. And Orlando just finds a way to win the series. It, it is, it is, honestly, like, uh, the Cleveland series is probably the Magic's best overall series, the 2009 Eastern Conference Finals. It's either that series or this series. Um, uh, just from the shock value, just from the, they really did beat one of the best players in NBA history, you know, at or near his prime. Uh, and it, and it's, it still amazes me. I mean, even just rewatching it, thinking about it uh, and just really kind of breaking it down is, is, is just, uh, uh amazing to me still. I, I really, I'm, I'm eager to see how the last dance treats it. I'm expecting that episode to drop next week. Um, with the last dance, um, and, and and you know, I, I'm interested to see how Jordan treats it and how Jordan views it. I'm interested to see if they talk to Shaq. I'm interested to see if they talk to Nick Anderson. Um, I know that um, I know that I think there's a lot, lot to go, lot, lot still to develop and and learn and understand about the series. And, and I hope this podcast helps a little bit with some context and and with a little bit of fun. Before we drop into the categories and talk a little bit more about this series with that little bit of fun, as I said, I want to give a quick shout out to uh, to uh, Built Bar. Um, you know, I, I I I am not the biggest workout person. Uh, I I've tried a few protein bars. I've tried a few different bars to kind of supplement whatever working out I do or sort of as meal replacement. And you know, I always find it's very difficult to find the right bar. Um, it, it's it's definitely. Uh, uh, difficult to find one that tastes good. Um, you know, there's, there's all those, you know, sometimes there's all those nuts. I'm not a big fan of nuts. I'm not, you know, always a big fan of kind of the fruits and all the different things they put into these bars. But Built Bars are completely different. It, it is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. There are 16 amazing flavors. Eight with chocolate and nuts and eight with chocolate without nuts. Bars are covered in 100% chocolate, so they're soft and easy to chew. Built Bars are healthy. They're great for the health conscious person. 
You can help. They can help you lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. That is always big because I certainly have a sweet tooth, which is part of my problem. Bars are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. Your flavor profile for like a peanut butter brownie bar. That, that sounds really good. 20 grams of protein, 170 calories, 3 grams of sugar, 3 grams of net carbs. Uh, has everything you need. How about a mint brownie bar? 15 grams of protein, 110 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 5 grams of net carbs. Uh, this just sounds fantastic and certainly could be the bar for you. Go to BuiltBar.com today and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your first order. Again, use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Um, if you listen to the rewatchables, either the movie podcast or the basketball rewatchables, I, I would highly suggest you do. Uh, I find I, I know I, I I'm I'm I like the ringer. I, I don't mind Bill Simmons. Um, I, I think that I think that they're fun podcasts. Um, so if you're a movie person, the rewatchables podcast. I usually if I watch a movie, I check to see if there's rewatchables and, and I'll listen to that. Or if there's a movie that I've always really really liked and watched several times, I find the rewatchables podcast very very enjoyable. There's a huge library of them. Uh, in the Book of Basketball 2.0 podcast, Bill Simmons started doing a basketball rewatchables. Um, they did, uh, and I highly suggest listening to that podcast. So say what you want about Bill Simmons and how he constructs his opinions and, and, and some of his philosophy. He does read a lot about basketball. He, still, he understands a lot about the history of basketball. And I think, I think his perspective on that is, is certainly worth listening to. Um, just, to, just to kind of spark your own research. Um, I, I really enjoy his podcast there. They did a series of podcasts on Dwight Howard, where they placed Dwight Howard within the basketball pyramid, which is sort of Bill Simmons' rankings, as well as a rewatchables of the 2009 NBA Finals Game 4. That one's tough to watch. Today, as we speak, the latest podcast on that feed should be Game 6 of the 1995 series between the Magic and the Bulls. I have not listened to it yet. Um, I actually just watched a game yesterday. But I will be listening to it shortly, uh, and I highly suggest you listen to that as well. But on those rewatchables podcasts, what they do is they discuss sort of the impact of the movie, you know, what, what really stands out about the movie. Like I said, I've kind of done that here. And then they go on to the categories. The categories are just kind of fun ways to discuss the, the movie in some ways. Um, we're going to talk about what aged the best, what aged the worst in the series. We talk, we're going to talk about what... Uh, we're going to talk about uh, unanswerable questions from the series. I've got a few really good unanswerable questions from that series that, that I definitely want to dive into. Uh, we'll talk about uh, Apex Mountain, who like was at the top of his game or top of the mountain, so to speak, coming out of this, this series. And then we're going to talk about who won the series. I'm going to skip the Dion Waiters Award, but we'll talk about who won the series. I have a couple interesting thoughts on that. If you have thoughts on any of these... Definitely leave them in the comments uh, over there. Um, uh, and and uh, if you're watching on Facebook Live, definitely leave them in the comments. Uh, share them with me online at Omagic Daily. 
Um, I, I'd love to hear what you think about this this the series, and, and I'll continue to incorporate this as I write posts about this on OrlandoMagicDaily.com. Um, we do have one question about this this particular season from Nicholas Kemper, asking, "You think the NBA is done for the season?" Um, I'll answer it real quickly. I don't think it's done yet. Um, I think that I think that the NBA is really determined to have a season, but it's going to really depend on how how we progress as a nation, uh, getting the testing that we need, and getting all the materials that we need to 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 test at a high enough rate to to keep everyone safe and healthy. Um, I'm going to talk. I know I promised I'd talk a little bit about the Disney idea. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that on Locked On Magic on Tuesday. Um, I'm planning to do a podcast on Tuesday at least. Um, today, I just want to make sure we get the get the pre-dance here uh, before before the last dance begins in about 40 minutes. So thank you for the question, Nicholas. If you have any questions or comments about the 1905 Magic Bulls series, any questions or any thoughts about our categories here, what age the best, what age the worst, uh, Apex Mountain, unanswerable questions, uh, and then, of course, I think the big one, a question that I am actually going to put to, to, the, to the Magic population as a whole, who won the series? We'll talk about that coming up here in just a moment. First, what aged the best, what aged the worst? Um, 1990s basketball is very different. I don't know if, I don't know if you know this. Um, it is very, very different. Um, you hear Charles Barkley, you hear like all the old heads uh, in, in, on NBA Countdown and, and inside the NBA talk about, about how great 90s basketball was and how, you know, today's players are soft and, and they're not allowed to touch each other and, 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 there is something to that. Obviously, hand checking is not allowed. Defenses are very, very different. Um, I will say this though, and I mentioned this in the podcast on our rewatch of Game One. The Orlando Magic and Chicago Bulls would fit right in in a modern offense. Um, I've been watching a lot of the classic games and a lot of the kind of uh, old games that they they've been playing on NBA TV over the course of the last you know month while the season's been on hiatus, uh, and basketball is very, very different now. Um, I, I, I don't think there is any other way to put it. Um, just the aesthetics different, the way teams are playing. And honestly, like the way that I look at it, offenses today, and again, this is not a judgment value. I don't think it's good or bad. Um, offenses today are just much more diverse, complex, and sophisticated. Again, not good or bad. Sometimes it's done a little bit too much. It's over complex, over over diverse, you know, maybe not over diverse, but but over, you know, it's overdone a little bit. But I think what made the magic and the bulls so interesting, especially in the series, and honestly, probably the Pacers too. Uh, and I'm really interested to see them in the Eastern Conference Finals here coming up this week. What really made this series interesting was just how modern the magic and bulls look. Um, yes, there's still a lot of isolation. And, and I think that's, to me, what's aged the worst is the offenses just look really old. Um, it's really slow. It's, you know, I, I, I don't want to dive too deep into this, but, but it does feel like there's this machismo thing about going one-on-one, of, of saying my best player against your best player. Um, when I was younger, I didn't understand illegal defense and why illegal defense existed. I watched this series and I'm like, illegal defense had to exist or they would put three guys on the one guy you're trying to isolate and nothing would ever happen. No one would score. Um, they, they almost had, they had to outlaw any type of zone defense, even like a Tom Thibodeau style strong side, uh, strong side zone to keep players from 
to keep defenses from just overloading and overwhelming individual players because the offensive thought at the time was, let me post you up, whether it's with Shaq, whether it's Jordan, whether it's Nick Anderson, whether it's Dennis Scott, whether it's Penny Hardaway, whether it's Scotty, let me post you up, try and beat you, try and force a double team after I get into the lane, and then kick out and see what happens. Teams did not know how to use the three-point line effectively. But the Magic and the Bulls, at least for the time, did. Uh, and I think that's what was really interesting watching the series. No, they're not shooting 20, 25, 33s a game like they are today. And again, I, and I, I, I will agree. I think the obsession with three-point shooting today is, I don't think it's tipped over the bar yet, but it's getting close. Um, but what I saw a lot in this series was how well the Magic and Bulls use motion and movement to get get them get each other open. They might dump the ball to Shaq, but once that double team comes, Horse Grant's diving down the lane. Penny's diving down the lane, or he's kicking out to Dennis Scott or Nick Anderson for three, or you know even Nick Anderson he could pump fake and drive in, or Horse Grant could hit that eighteen footer. They might not have the three point range yet, but the Magic really did run a kind of four out spread the floor offense, and it looks very very modern. You know, watching the last dance and you're seeing what what how they talk about the triangle offense and how Michael Jordan runs the triangle. That offense is designed, I think, to counteract a lot of the kind of isolation-heavy sets that teams are used to defending. Yes, Jordan still gets his isos. He still gets the ball in the post. He still has control over the offense. But because you're playing with double teams and how teams try to defend isolation sets... And he spread the floor with shooters like Tony Kukoc, like Steve Kerr, like Scottie Pippen. You know, hit a couple, hit a bunch of big threes. So Pete Myers wasn't known as a great three-point shooter, but he he could hit from the outside. Um, Ron Harper was kind of coming off the bench. You got Jude Bushler, who was a good three-point shooter. You could spread the floor enough with three-point shooters that defenses couldn't completely pinch down on him, and Jordan could could still work his magic. They could still get the ball moving from side to side. They could still cut into the lane as as defenses try to double team. And the Magic did a really good job. Throughout the series, while Jordan still got his numbers, I thought the Magic did a really good job throughout the series keeping the ball out of Scotty and Jordan's hands. Where else did the game look modern? Defensively, both teams, I thought, switched a lot more than I thought teams switched in the 90s. Um, again, sort of like you expect this one-on-one culture. And, and that's, again, when I've watched a lot of 90s basketball of late, um, you know, like I've watched some old Pacers-Knicks games from 94. You know, even early 2000s, like at post-Jordan era, you see, like, you see a lot of isolation play with like Allen Iverson, with Tracy McGrady even. You see a lot of one guy on one side of the floor, four guys on the other, just standing around watching. It's not fun basketball. It's not good basketball. But this is how, this is how they played in the 90s, I think. And the, and the teams that won were the teams that figured out, A, how to use a three-point line, which is still very new, and B, how to create movement off of the double teams. You have good passing big men like Akeem Olajuwon, like David Robinson, Shaquille O'Neal wasn't a great, wasn't as good as he would be as a passer. He was a very skilled passer at the time. Penny passing out of the post was very good. Nick Anderson passing out of the post was very good. You have those passers, and that's kind of how you attacked. And so, if you start ha- adding some shooters to that mix, all of a sudden you've got a really, really kind of interesting mix of players that a lot of teams in the '90s didn't know how to handle. One thing that both the Bulls and the Magic had, though, was positional length and size. It's kind of our buzzword currently in the in the Orlando Magic sphere is, is positional versatility and size. It, it, you can't, you know, my, my dad used to always tell me this, you can't teach height. You can't teach a guy to have a long wingspan. 
You got Tony Kukoc as essentially one of the original stretch fours. Wasn't didn't have a great series. Did not look good in this series. So maybe not the greatest example. There's a reason why the Bulls went out and got Dennis Rodman. Um, but you'd see Tony Kukoc could switch on to some guys. I mean, you know, he, he struggled with Horace Grant, but Shaq was able to switch out onto guards on occasion. Uh, they didn't mind switching Horace Grant uh, onto Scottie Pippen. They didn't mind switching Nick Anderson onto Tony Kukoc or Penny onto Tony Kukoc. Um, you know, the, the Magic looked like, a, you know, the, and the Bulls, you know, very much so defensively too, looked like a modern team in a lot of ways. And that really took me by surprise. I mean, I, I, I tend to draw a through line from the Magic to the Suns, to the War, to, to back to the Magic in 09, to the Warriors. Um, really, it's the Rockets. I'll, I'll give the Rockets credit. They led the league in three-point field goal attempts that year. They're one of the best three-point shooting teams in the league. They were really the first team to show in 94 and 95 that you could win a title as a three-point shooting team. Again, three-point line not used effectively at this time. Certainly not as effectively as it is now. Um, am I saying you should build an offense around three-point shooting? No. And the Warriors don't do that, by the way. If you're blaming Golden State for that, it's not them. Houston's the one that, that probably does that more than anyone else. Um, but it's becoming clearer and clearer by the mid-90s that you need quality three-point shooting to win in the league. It, it, can really it can really tip the balance in a lot of ways. And the Magic figured that out. The Rockets figured that out. The Bulls figured that out in 1995. So it's a really fascinating series to watch from that perspective, from a 2020 perspective, because while they're still doing a lot of the things that I hate about basketball, I hate isolation play. Whenever, whenever I'm playing 2K and an isolation set comes on, I get annoyed. I don't like isolation play. I don't, I don't think it challenges the defense. It's this, The numbers would tell you, just like post play is really inefficient because post play is essentially an isolation in the post. Um it's really inefficient. The odds are you're not going to score um, or score effectively if you're if you're playing that way. So I'm not a fan of post ups. Uh, you know, I, I actually I don't mind post ups. Um, it it it's really matchup dependent and skill based dependent. I'm not a fan of ISOs, although yes, skill based dependent. Am I telling Michael Jordan not to ISO? No, Michael Jordan should ISO anyone he wants because he can beat anyone he wants. Kevin Durant should ISO anyone he wants. He can beat anyone he wants. You know, Kyrie Irving to some extent. It's just about keeping the flow of the offense. And, and to me, that was really the worst thing about watching these games is they're so ISO, they're so post-dependent, there's no flow. There's no like rhythm to the game sometimes. Um, you know, the Magic in game one actually really messed up. Um, they tried to get Dennis Scott posting up. There, there are two, two possessions in the last two minutes where Dennis Scott is trying to post up from the three-point line. Uh, and, and, and I remember we were sitting there watching the game just begging like, Run a Shaq and Penny pick and roll. Run a, Sha run a, run a Penny and Course Grant pick and roll. Um, pick and rolls just weren't used, in fact, weren't used that much. It wasn't the main ge generator of the offense. A lot of teams just, they ran their offense through the post. They ran their offense off of one-on-one -on -one play and through the post. And so, to me, that hasn't aged very well. Um, it, it's not as entertaining a style of basketball. But on top of all this, on top of the versatility defensively, on top of kind of the way that both teams use the three-point line and use passing and motion, both the Magic and the Bulls were fantastic in transition. If you made a mistake, if you made a turnover, you were getting scored on or they were going to the line. Um, and, and that was really what made the, that Magic team special in 95 um, is they were so good offensively because they had Shaq. Um, and no one could guard Shaq. You had to double him. And they could spread the floor with three-point shooting. But when they played defense, and again, they were top 10 defense in the league, when you play, when you play defense, they were able to get out in transition and score with ease. Um, Penny could finish above the rim. Nick could finish above the rim. Dennis Scott's trailing, you know, pulling up for three, which again was not something a lot of people did. Shaq, young Shaq, if you've never experienced young Shaq, if you haven't watched young Shaq, 
go into the Orlando Magic Daily Video Vault, click on any game from 1993 to 96, and watch some young Shaq. That the guy is just an incredible athlete. Uh, and, and honestly, while he was more dominant in Los Angeles with the Lakers and was an unstoppable force there, young Shaq is still my favorite version of Shaq because the, the possibilities of what he could do were, were really endless. Um, the last thing that aged the worst about this series, um, Hulk Hogan. Uh, I'll leave it at that. Um, as, you know, I, remember, I remember those days when Hulk Hogan was at the Magic Games uh, in, the, in 95. He was, you know, king of the world, you know, one of the biggest biggest sports celebrities in the world. Um, it was awesome. Um, that 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 has not aged well. Even him showing back up in 2009, it's not aged particularly well. playoffs are right around the corner and locked on nba is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama every monday jackson gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league helping to break down the nba playoffs mark your calendars to listen to locked on nba every monday to be up to date locked on nba available on youtube and wherever you get podcasts part of the locked on podcast network your team every day so, let's move on to something that I think is is much more interesting when talking about this series is the what ifs, um, and and I, and especially because we know what happened with the Magic, um, we know what happens. They they get to the NBA Finals, they lose in Game One in heartbreaking fashion. Uh, they you know kind of crumble on the big stage finally on the, their youth and immaturity finally catch up to them, and it's certainly. There were hints of it throughout the series, some, some poor execution, uh, lots of turnovers, um, but, you know, they always push through it. It's it really incredible to, watching them uh, play and kind of go by that why not us, why not now mo- mo- mantra. They come back in 96. Shaq misses the first 20, 25 games or so with a broken thumb, um, but they're nowhere near as good as the Chicago Bulls. The 72 and 10 Chicago Bulls sweep them uh, out of the playoffs, and of course, uh, from there, the Magic makes some front office missteps and lose Shaquille O'Neal, and the window is officially closed. So, I have some unanswerable questions about this series. Um, I have I have some really, uh, I hope they're interesting, unanswerable questions about this series. The first one I want to ask, did the Magic win the series, or did the Bulls lose the series? Like I said, history has kind of made us remember this series as you know, yes, the Bulls were favored, but the Magic were really good. And they were really good, don't, don't get me wrong. And the Magic won the series, you know, in fairly substantial fashion. But that's just not the case. This was actually a fight all the way through. This was a difficult series from start to finish for both teams. And while the Magic got, a, you know, a, fair, a fairly comfortable win in Game 5, and the Bulls got a fairly comfortable win in Game 2, each win, each, every other game really came down to the last moments of the game. Both teams had a chance to win all, really all those games except for those two. And it could have easily been a 4-2 series in Chicago's favor as much as it was a 4-2 series in Orlando's favor. These teams, despite Chicago you know, not being kind of a fully operational battle station yet, despite Jordan very clearly kind of getting himself back into kind of physical game shape, 
you know, maybe worn down from just making that 17-game cameo. Um, there's no denying that. I mean, I think he looks very much human in this series. And it's because he makes a lot of mistakes in this series. Jordan averages four turnovers per game in the series. He has two turnovers in the final 30 seconds of game one. Not just Nick Anderson steal. With a chance to win the game, Jordan gets by Donald Royal to the, about the free throw line and makes a last-second decision to pass it to Scottie Pippen down, down low. Pippen is not able to handle the ball, and that turnover essentially gives Orlando the chance to take a three-point lead with about six-tenths of a second left. Again, did the Magic win that game? Sure. Nick Anderson made a great play to steal the ball. Did the Bulls lose that game? I think the Bulls would say they did. Like I said, in, in almost every game, Chicago had the lead at the end of the first quarter. And they made mistake after mistake after mistake in close games. Game three, Jordan has another turnover late that gives Orlando uh, the ability to pull away. Uh, game six, Orlando needs a 14-0 run to win the game. It looked like we're heading to a game seven. It really did. It looked like this was going to a game seven. Chip Carey and Jack Goose Givens on the Magic broadcast are saying, this looks like a game seven. Magic just don't seem to have it tonight. Michael Jordan's fantastic. You know, I think he had 38 and that, and that, or no, he had... 24 in game six. Scotty Pippen at 26. Um, you know, Scotty had a really good game. But Pippen misses a lot of free throws. He missed a bunch of key free throws in game three. In game six, he misses a bunch of key free throws. And it's again, turnover after turnover after turnover. Orlando takes advantage. They went out and earned the win. But we all got to ask the question too. Not that Chicago had the series lead or was in control of the series. Did Chicago blow that series? I think that's an interesting question to ask, especially when I ask this next question. The next unanswerable question. Would the Magic have won Game 7? I'm going to let that one sit for a while. Do you really think the Orlando Magic would beat Michael Jordan, even at the Orlando Arena, in a Game 7? With the series that he had. Because, yes, you know maybe Jordan wasn't at full strength. But Jordan still averaged 31 points per game and 6.5 rebounds per game in that series. He still had 2.5 steals per game. Yes, 24 turnovers in 6 games. Scottie Pippen with 17 turnovers in 6 games. But Jordan was still really good. 47.7% shooting at his, at his volume. He was really, really, really good in that series. I, I think there's, there's no other way to say it. And even with Jordan struggling, even with Jordan not being maybe Michael Jordan, do you really think the Magic are going to win a Game 7 against the Chicago Bulls? I'm not sure what the answer to this question is. Because again, this, this isn't Michael Jordan. The Magic are a very, very good team. They've you know defended their home court exceptionally well. They were 39-2 at the Orlando Arena in the regular season. They lost to Boston in Game 2. They lost to Chicago in Game 2. So they were 30, you know, they were 40. They had a really good home record. They were really good at home. Uh, but I do think that there is something to the youth of this team. Yes, the mantra for the season or for the playoffs had become, why not us? Why not now? Why isn't it our turn? Why can't we, a young team that everyone believes is destined to win championships, why can't we win it today? And they believe that. 
and frankly, they played like it. They 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 deserved to be in the finals. They were the best team in the East. They were the best team that season. And most would say that yes, if not for those free throws, the Magic might have won the championship in '95. I'm I'm still not completely sold on that. But I will say this: watching the series, there two things came to my mind. Yes. This Magic team had a lot of immaturity. Um, they were still a very, very young team. You could see them making mistakes and trying to figure things out and getting frustrated with with the way the Bulls were playing them. Um, they 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 struggled in a lot of ways. But they always had the poise to pull through it. Um, the one thing we could say about the 1995 team above everything else is they really did have that why not us, why not now mentality. They had so much confidence. Almost unreasonable confidence at times to that they that they believed they could beat anybody and and beating the bulls gave them a sense of legitimacy i know i mentioned this uh, during the podcast last week uh, about game 1 there are moments as a fan as a team perhaps that you really do believe that you're going to win the whole thing and, and you know again my basketball con- as far as being basketball conscious, I was much more conscious for 2009. I was in college in 2009 as opposed to being in second grade in 1995. Or first grade, actually, in 1995. No, second grade, second grade. Um, in 2009, I distinctly remember the Magic beating the Lakers in Los Angeles. And that was the first time I really thought to myself, this team could win it. This team could really win a championship. Like this isn't just a really nice team. This is a this is a championship team. That was when I first really began to believe. And obviously, as the playoffs went on, you got more evidence to suggest, like you know, there's there's some you know, there's something special about this team. That 1995 season, the Magic were dominant from the start. Everyone believed the Magic were destined for great things. But I would venture to guess, no one in the outside media, and probably some people in Orlando. No one really believed or took the Magic's championship aspirations in 1995 seriously until they beat the Bulls. If the Magic lose Game 6 and have to go to a do-or-die Game 7, I honestly don't know how they would react. Obviously, we have one frame of reference, and that is they lost Game 6 to the Indiana Pacers on the road and came back home and put a shellacking on the Pacers in Game 7 to advance to the NBA Finals. Did the Magic have the confidence to do that without beating the Bulls first? I mean, I think... I don't know what the... I mean, this is why it's an unanswerable question. Um, I think that it is a fascinating thought experiment to think about whether the Magic have the maturity and have the poise. Maturity and poise they showed throughout the entire series, mind you. To beat Michael Jordan in a Game 7. Kind of, kind of wish we would have seen that because that would have been interesting. My next unanswerable question. This one I think is going to be controversial. But the Magic have been better off losing the series. Let me explain this thought, this thought process. Again, I'm going to use the 2009 team as a frame of reference. When I conceptualized the 2009 season, I felt like, okay, Magic coming off First, you know, second round exit to the Detroit Pistons. Very good team. No shame in losing that game. They need to learn. They need that, that experience of pain to get to the next level. And my goal for the 2009 season was get a little bit closer. If we could get to the Eastern Conference Finals, great. 
If we can have a competitive second round series, great. That was my goal for the season. I felt like 2010 was the year that the Magic would really reach maturity, go through the pain and through the, the strife of trying to win a championship and really make that break here. I'm, I'm just a big believer of you take baby steps and, and you really learn and experience things and get better. I mean, I think that's that's something The Last Dance has kind of shown us a little bit is you, you gain a lot from the pain of playoff failure. And so I often ask myself this question, especially because of how the 2010 team was constructed kind of on the fly. Because, because the Magic made the finals in 2009, all of a sudden your championship window's open. It's proven that it's open. And you got to do everything you can to keep it open. And, 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 you know, I'm not here to debate that. When the window is open, you do everything you can to keep it open because you don't know when it's going to close. And it can close very fast, especially if you don't really know what you're doing. And you don't question that window when it's open or how it's opened. You, you run through it, which is what the Magic did in 2009. No shame in going to the finals in 2009. I'm not going to say that. But I often wonder. Obviously, Orlando gets to the 2009 finals because Kevin Garnett's hurt in the, in the second round. I'm, I firmly believe that if Garnett's healthy, the Celtics win the title in 2009. They probably beat the Cavs, although that would have been a heck of a series. And they play a Lakers team that they beat the year before. Most Celtics fans would agree, and I tend to agree with this. The 2009 Celtics were better than the 2008 Celtics that won the title. The only difference between the two teams was Kevin Garnett got hurt at the wrong time. Kevin Garnett got hurt for the playoffs and missed the entire playoffs. If Garnett plays, I don't think the Magic beat the Celtics in 2009. And that opens up a whole can of worms. How do the Magic get better? What do the Magic do with Hito Turkoglu? How do they develop and grow that team then? And I often wonder this too. If the Magic did lose that series, if the Magic didn't make the finals in 2009, how would expectations have been different? How would things have been different moving forward? How would Dwight Howard's approach be different? How would Jimmy Nelson's approach be different? How would the Magic's feelings about Jimmy Nelson be different? How would the Magic's feelings about Hito Turkoglu be different? Or Richard Lewis? What do the Magic, how do the Magic grow from there? Failure often forces you to make changes because something clearly didn't go right. A surprise final strip feels like everything went right. And Orlando had to make some movements on the fly because of a free agency, because of contract realities. But all of a sudden, they had to make these moves maybe differently than they originally planned because now we're cha- we're finals team. Nothing but the championship is accepted. And so I often, so I kind of look back at this 1995 team and, and wonder a little bit about the same thing. If the narrative entering the postseason was, this Magic team is coming. They're going to be very, very good. But they're not ready yet. They're not experienced enough yet. They need some heartache. What if the Magic had gotten that heartache? What if they lose to the Bulls in, 90, in 95? What does Pat Williams and John Gabriel do then? How do they make the team better? They obviously bank on individual growth, but do they go out and get that second piece? Do they make a play for Dennis Rodman? Do they make a play for another wing star? You know, I you know honestly, like, do you trade? You know, what happens to Nick Anderson's career if he doesn't miss those free throws? If he doesn't have the chance to miss those free throws? What happens to Shaq? Do the Magic have a better understanding of how how important both Shaq and Penny are? 
and treat that summer in 96 much differently? Ultimately, I, I think it's a little bit of a moot point because I, one of my other unanswerable questions is, do the Bulls win the series if Jordan plays the entire season? And I think that answer is undeniably yes. And I think the answer is, even if Shaq is ridiculously good, which, which he is, which he was at the time, who's beating the 96 Bulls? I mean, I think the Magic would give him, I think if the Magic were healthy, they would have had a much fairer shot than they did in, in the 96 Eastern Conference Finals, but obviously that Bulls team swept the Magic. Now, you know, maybe the Bulls don't go 72-10 and 10 because Jordan's not feeling the anger of failure, which, you know, slight Michael Jordan, and he will make you remember it. Horace Grant going up on the shoulders. Horace Grant knew that was a mistake. Shaq, and, Shaq did not. <laughs> so I, 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 you know, obviously you can't rewrite history. And obviously if the window's open, the window's open and you go for it. Because you, again, you don't know. You don't know if Michael Jordan's going to go on a 72 and 10 tear. That might be your only shot. You have to act like it's your only shot. And, and the Magic did everything they could to win that championship in 95. But I often do wonder if one more failure, if one more piece of heartache might have been enough to get them over the top. Or might have been enough to keep them together a little bit longer. It is, it is a question I think about, and, and certainly there are some sliding doors here uh, to think about as well. But, um, you know, I'm not going to complain that the Magic hold the last playoff series win over Chicago, over the Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls uh, at all. Let's get into some of the individual categories. Apex Mountain. Apex Mountain and who won the series, I think it could be very, very similar. Um, there's obviously, I mean, first, most rewatchable sequence, the steal. I, I don't think there's any debate about that. Um, the steal from the last two minutes of game one. Uh, game one is just a, a fantastic game overall. Very close the entire way. Um, the last two minutes of game one are both really sloppy and really shocking. Um you know, I was watching game one again, actually, on Saturday. Uh, and I know that lob from Kukoc to, to Pippen is coming. And I'm just like, don't, but don't watch the lob. Watch the lob. And even the fact of Jordan losing the ball the way he did, it's, it's shocking. And honestly, like, kudos to Magic Game Ops. The cinematics of it are fantastic. Um, hearing the final countdown playing in the background as they're coming out of the timeout is fantastic. Um, you wish you could get the David Steele call on 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 every every time because his call is fantastic. Um, it is it is the greatest moment in Magic history. It's the most rewatchable sequence uh, of the entire series. Uh, I would give a runner up to the 14-0 run for the Magic in Game Six. Um, that 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 stretch is just you can't believe you're watching it. You can't believe the Magic with Brian Shaw uh, as the lead point guard and Shaquille O'Neal are 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 ending the Chicago Bulls season. But Apex Mountain. In the interest of giving this award to two different people, um, Apex Mountain to me comes down to Nick Anderson or Horace Grant. I think that this series might be Nick Anderson's Apex Mountain. Yes, he averaged 19 points per game in the 92 and 93 seasons. Yes, he was the first player to score 50 points off the bench in the 93 season. But no moment may be more important or interesting or, 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 or meaningful to Nick Anderson than this one. 
He's a Chicago kid. He has said, he said, I think on, on, uh, on Dante Marcatelli's show on, on pod squad or, or magic overtime, I'm um, talking about this game. He said he is still not, or talking about the series said he is still people in Chicago still are a little angry about him for the series. And it's not just the steal. He has the steal, which is greatest moment in magic history. Greatest moment of his career. He hits the, the, the go-ahead bucket in Game 6. He, he hits the series-clinching basket in Game 6 um, before Shaq steals the ball and dunks it to give the Magic a four-point lead uh, to end that series. And Nick Anderson had a fantastic Game 6. Um, so he has a lot of really big, really huge moments in this series. And obviously, knowing what's coming two series later, it honestly makes the fall that much more tragic because I don't think Nick Anderson was ever flying as high as he was in this series. You know, certainly Magic fans love him more, love him the most for this series. Um, They love him the most because he's the original Magic player. He's he's got a lot of sentimental value and, and... you know, I, I, as, as I've watched a lot of these old games on, on the Magic Classics on Fox Sports Florida, you know, I have, you know, I thought Nick Anderson was a great player already. Um, I had him, I think I have him fifth on, on my all-time Magic list. Watching these old games has given me a lot more appreciation for Nick Anderson. Um, I, 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 I think that even Magic fans actually criminally underrate him. And I have evolved on my position about retiring jerseys. I think Nick Anderson's jersey should be retired by the Orlando Magic. I, I don't even think we should wait for a championship. For a championship, his jersey should go first. He is the Orlando Magic. He is so important to this franchise. And this series was honestly him at his best. He is playing a, a tough role in defending Michael Jordan and does his best doing that. He is hitting big shots and making big plays over and over and over again. Um, and... That's all you can ask for from a guy like him. Yes, he had his struggles. He wasn't perfect all series. But to me, this is the top of the mountain for Nick Anderson. This is as good as Nick Anderson um, is going to get. And and, and I think think it's really, I think he was really special in this series and and did a lot of special things in this series. But ultimately, who won this series? I have half a mind to say it was Michael Jordan. Because the one thing Michael Jordan needs more than anything else is to feel slighted and to have a feeling that he has to, you know, he needs something to motivate him. And so ultimately, he comes out of this series with a loss, with Horace Grant celebrating on everyone's shoulders on his court, and he gets himself back in a basketball shape for the 1986 season. They go 72-10, and and the rest is history. But the winner of this series is Horace Grant, the guy the Magic hoisted on their shoulders at the end of the series. The Bulls specifically wanted him to beat them. They doubled off him to Shaq. They tried to, they tried to say, Horace Grant can't hit jumpers. The, the guy that we dumped, that we didn't want anymore. We don't need him, and we're going to prove it by making him beat us. And that's what Horace Grant did. 18 points per game, like I said. Um, he had an exceptional series. Again, 18 points per game, 11 rebounds per game, shot 64.7% from the floor. He was really, really good. Six blocks, so a block, a block per game. He was really, really good, and yes, he was instrumental in the Magic winning series. He had big games in Game 3 and Game 5, and honestly, like, was the proud papa after 
after dislocating his finger in game six, I, I believe the story was that Brian Hill asked him if he wanted to go in. He said, these guys have got it. Let them finish it. And that was a good decision. That was, that was a proud papa letting his young pups figure things out on their own, and, and they delivered for him. And I'm a big fan of Horse Grant. I think Horse Grant's presence on this team is the reason why they were able to make the leap into the finals. Um, I think having a veteran, I am a big believer. I, I call it my Horse Grant theory. I believe that every team that is aspiring to be great, aspiring to win championships, needs a veteran that's been there to help them get there. And I really, I really appreciate Horse Grant a ton. Um, and this series was his best in a Magic uniform for sure. Uh, and was certainly very, very satisfying for him as we'll end this this podcast the same way the Magic end that series. Lifting Horace Grant on our shoulders to celebrate as the winner of the series. And of course, watching The Last Dance now, we know a little extra salt to the wound there as... Michael Jordan seems to believe that Horace Grant was the one that talked to Sam Smith for his groundbreaking book, The Jordan Rules, which was kind of a behind-the-scenes raw take on Michael Jordan and what it's like to play with Michael Jordan. Seems like there are at least a few teammates who also believe Horace Grant was the one that uh, that had the loose lips, that, that sank some ships, and talked to the media, and eventually was perhaps the reason why uh, he felt it was necessary to leave Chicago or why Chicago felt like they needed to get rid of him or felt very salty about him and, and wanted him to beat the, beat the Bulls in that series or said, this guy can't beat the Bulls. We're going to show that he can't by leaving him open and daring him to, to beat us. Well, Horace Grant did, and, and, and that adds a little bit of extra, extra salt to the wound there uh, as, again, Horace Grant certainly comes out really good uh, in that series with the Chicago Bulls. Um, we're going to talk plenty more about this on OrlandoMagicDaily.com. I just want to kind of recap... Uh, that series now that it's done being aired on Fox Sports Florida. Um, so they're moving on now. Tuesday, they'll start the, the Eastern Conference Final Series against the Indiana Pacers. They'll show all four wins from that series. Uh, obviously, with the last stance that this ties into that, we'll see uh, hopefully them talk about this series against the Magic on the last stance on next week's episode. I believe it'll be episode seven or eight. Episode seven or eight. I'm sure they will talk about Jordan's comeback. And as part of Jordan's comeback is, of course, the loss to the Orlando Magic. So we'll see a lot more Orlando Magic, a lot more Horace Grant, especially coming up in the next few episodes of The Last Dance. So very exciting for us Magic fans to, to be involved involved in this uh, documentary uh, even just a little bit. But that's going to do it for me today. I want to thank you all again for listening to today's episode of Locked on Magic. You, of course, follow me on Twitter at philiprr underscore md. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Magic. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Himalaya, Google Play, and all the fun places to download podcasts to your podcast-enabled listening device. Be sure to go back and listen to our rewatch of Game 1 of the of the series against the Chicago Bulls. You can also find all six games in their entirety if you miss them on Fox Sports Florida. Intrepid YouTubers have put them online. I've got them all in one location in the Orlando Magic Daily video vault. Go to orlandomagicdaily.com, click on the top uh, menu bar for video vault, and scroll down to the 1995 play. It's got a lot of classic Magic games in there if you're interested in diving into some classic Magic games. Tomorrow, we're going to talk a little bit about the Disney idea that's been circulating around and what the NBA is going to look like as it slowly begins to reopen. So we're going to move away from history talk, talk a little bit more about the modern game 
coming up on Tuesday's episode of Locked On Magic. While you're waiting for that, though, be sure to check out the latest episode of Rejecting the Screen. They talked to the director of the Rodman 30 for 30, did his take on Dennis Rodman, and of course, The Last Dance as well. That's going to do it for me today, though. I want to thank you all again for listening to today's episode of Locked On Magic. For Orlando Magic Daily and Locked On Magic, this has been Philip Rosson Wright. I'll see you all again next time for another episode of Locked On Magic. You are Locked On Magic, your daily Orlando Magic podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.